it's already been a little bit of a weepy morning here, and I uh, encourage you to get out your Kleenex. You might need them. Uh, I am proud to introduce to you for the very first time in this service, the very right Reverend Shannon Ballroom. Shannon was ordained this weekend while we were at annual conference, and it was a really beautiful time. You'll see here in the first picture the bishop laying his hand on her and our superintendents uh, agreeing with him. And then the second picture is Shannon receiving the word of God so that she might go and preach the word of God with integrity and uh, with the Lord's power. And then the bottom picture is all your delegates and staff and friends and spouses and people who were there. It was quite a time. Shannon and Denzel came to us, and Shannon already had her master's degree in theology, and uh, she was figuring out what the call meant, and that's what uh, the process of ordination is about. It takes about three to five years, and in that time, there are interviews, and there is mentoring, and there is deep, deep discussions about uh, what it is that God is asking us to do. At the end of that process, of course, not everyone chooses ordination. Shannon uh, chose to be ordained within the Free Methodist Church, and uh, I was in her last interview, and it was astounding. Uh, she serves as resident director at Westmont College. She'll be appointed here. We're an appointment system. So every pastor uh, has to be appointed here. And you'll be glad to know that all of your pastors were reappointed for this year. And that's a great thing too. But Shannon's name is now in the bulletin as an associate pastor. She's going to be kind of a utility player. So she'll be preaching and she'll be doing some other things with college students and women and different things. And don't be surprised if you see her. Probably not at men's retreat, but different places. And so... So um, as I was thinking and praying about, uh, we often have our new pastors preach, but I really wanted Shannon to share her story with you because it is in our stories, again, that the church moves forward, that people are blessed, that people understand more of who God is. And um, so she's been doing that all morning. And I think that the Lord is honored and I think that you will know her better. And um, yeah, so Please come and preach the word to us. Good morning. Uh, I would like to begin our time by expressing my sincere gratitude for this congregation. Reverend Colleen Hurley Bates, who has been an amazing mentor and our fantastic pastoral staff. Um, to my family and friends who are present today, I see you. Um, and I know that I would not be a reverend if it was not for your encouragement and support through this process. I am particularly thankful for my husband, Denzel Balram. Uh, this man is not only attractive, uh, but he is uh, my biggest cheerleader and fiercest advocate. Uh, I know I would not be a reverend if it was not for his unrelenting belief in me and the many sacrifices he has given so that I might be obedient to my call to ministry. He is truly Ephesians 5, willingly giving his life so that I might know the freedom and the joy of being a woman in leadership and in ministry. Um, I was able to thank Denzel at our 930 service. Church, please know 
I am humbled by the appointment to serve here at this Santa Barbara church, and I am honored to be a free Methodist reverend today. Thank you for the way that you have shaped me in this call. Today, we will take a break from our study in Ruth to share in the power of a testimony. In accepting this call to ministry to serve as a reverend, I believe it is important to share my story with our church as to give witness to the work of God in my life and the role the church has played in being my sanctuary, my home. I hope you will walk away blessed, encouraged, and edified as people of the church today. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we get to gather here in this church. And we get to worship you not only in song, but in the way that we love one another. Thank you, Father God, for the opportunity to be able to share my story. And I pray that, Lord, that this story points to you and points to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and points and gives witness to the power of the church. Be with me as I share these words and be with all of us as we delight in the power of a story. In your name we pray. Amen. I love stories. I absolutely adore them. If you have a good story, especially if it is funny, then please feel the permission to stop me at any time and share it with me. You are guaranteed a laugh, immediate attention, and met with a fascinated grin like, tell me more. Stories are so entertaining. I listen to NPR's Snap Judgment, Moth Radio, and I obsess over the stories of good movies like, Lord of the Rings, or Star Wars, or How Harry Met Sally. I know I am not the only one in this room that would admit to loving good stories. How many of you love telling stories about your family? How many? Raise your hand. That's right. That's right. All right. Stories that strike you as funny or sentimental memories you never want to forget. Or for those in a romantic relationship or married How many of you cannot even wait for people to ask about how you met your significant other, right? That's right. (laughs) Who doesn't want to talk about their sweet honey boo, right? We all love stories. We all tell stories. Stories are what bring us together. It is natural because stories are what make up our lives. We are all storytellers. I've also come to discover stories are also deeply theological in nature. My life, your life, is really a story that God is pinning. Our story is to be known, to be authored, to be expressed. God has authored each of us with a peculiar story so that we might reflect a unique aspect of God. There is only one Shannon Ballroom. One brunette with blue eyes who's married to an attractive man named Denzel, who has a wiener dog named Atticus, who lives in Santa Barbara, attends this church, works at Westmont, and loves to talk a lot. There's only one me, and it's the story that I profess that is uniquely mine. It is my mark, it is my truth to be told, just as your life is unique to you and it's meant to be told. 
Your story has value. God as creator is the author of our lives, and God pins our lives in such a way as to reveal God's divine glory. Our story, both in good and tragic events, is one that gives unique expression to our creator. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 reads, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Church, we are God's workmanship. In the Greek, the word is poema, which means masterpiece. In English, we get the word poem, from this word, and the term means something that is composed or constructed, a work of art. We are the artistic expression of God. Paul is communicating to the Ephesians that we are not our own masterpiece. We are a masterpiece only because we are God's masterpiece, totally unrelated to any effort or merit of our own. God is the author of our lives, and we we are God's great poem. Reverend Kent Hughes, in his book, Ephesians, The Body of Christ, summarizes my point best by writing, Michelangelo was once asked what he was doing as he chipped away at a shapeless rock. He replied, I'm liberating an angel from this stone. That's what God is doing with us. We are in the hands of the great maker, the ultimate sculptor who created the universe out of nothing, and he has never yet thrown away a rock on which he has begun a masterwork. His tools are Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, his word, and the preaching of the word. Our life is a poem or a story of sorts created in Christ Jesus for good works. Dan Allender in his book, To Be Told, writes, We don't just have stories. We are a story. It is our responsibility to know our story so we can live it out more intentionally and boldly for the great story, the gospel. God writes our story not just for our own enlightenment and insight, but to enlighten others and to reveal his own story through our story. In preparing for today, It is this truth that has had me pause in reflection. I am struck that my story is intrinsically bound, linked, connected with the story of church. I believe deeply the Lord has given me a word which gives testimony to the power of the church and how the church can be a radical and relentless love in action to those on the margin. So church, here is my testimony my sweet poema, my spoken word. I have often felt like an anomaly amongst people. I have one of those stories that seems to touch on a variety of hardships. I'm adopted. My father abandoned me when I was 10. I grew up in poverty and was a child of welfare, and I have sadly lost precious people in my life through cancer and sickness. One of the most complicated questions anyone can ask me is about my family. (laughs) I'm often asked, Shannon, how many siblings do you have? 
I often pause, trying to deliberate, well, what answer should I give? Should I give the easy answer or provide a more complex response? No matter what answer I give, I know it will leave people confused and curious. In fact, I often smirk when asked questions about my family because I know it's going to bring on more questions and expose more of my complex family history. But here is my narrative in a nutshell. My biological mother fell in love with my biological father, and they found themselves pregnant with me. As any good couple in the 80s would do, they married. I hope that in that marriage, they believed that good things were in store for our family, but sadly, that was not the case. My father was an alcoholic, an addict to drugs, and very abusive. For the earlier part of my life, I was exposed to horrific fights, painful beatings, and was acutely aware that my home was not safe. But the truth of the matter is I loved my family. It was instinctual, and in fact, I still have a love for my biological parents. And I think that's why it's so hard to deal with brokenness. There's a strange grief when your family does not operate as a healthy whole. There's a significant loss, and no matter what age you are, you feel it, and it impacts you. The violence grew, and at the age of six, my mother separated from my father with the help of my grandparents. My mom, however, collapsed under the stress of separating from my father, and eventually I was removed from her care at the age of seven. Her stepsister, Jacinta Hope Buchanan, we called her Sis, intervened. She became my advocate. She became my voice, and she demanded that my family situation change. Both my grandparents and her agreed to take care of me, and at the age of seven, I was permanently removed from my biological parents' care and would never live with them again. For seven more years, I went between homes. I would live with my grandparents, and then I would live with sis, and sometimes we would all live together in the same house. Circumstances really determined my living situation as to which home I would be living in. It was during this back-and-forth season of my life that my father also decided he wanted nothing to do with me. At the age of 10, he told me over the phone that he was leaving me due to my new family and blamed me for our circumstances. The last thing I ever heard about about his existence was that he passed away nine years ago. I grew up without a father and he without a daughter. Eventually, at the age of 14, sis legally adopted me. She decided I needed some kind of normal family, and so when she got married, both her and her husband decided to pay all my legal fees, buy a new home, and create a space for me to have consistency. Sis became my anchor in many ways. She became a refuge from the chaos of my life, and it's for this reason I will always refer to her as my hero. And even reading this, I can see glimpses of the gospel and the way that she gave me a name, paid my debt, and gave me a home. At the age of 14, I had found some normal existence, and when people ask how many siblings I have, I simply now respond, I have two brothers, I have two half-brothers and a sister, one stepsister, and three adopted siblings. It is beautifully complicated. (laughs) And I share the details of my life not to overwhelm you, The goal is not to leave you with heaviness today, nor make you feel sorry for me in this 
tale, but in fact, I'm purposely sharing my narrative because I believe it reveals something unique about the gospel. At the center of my chaotic childhood was the church. When I was little and my father was abusive, I would often hide in a closet and pray. I learned how to pray from my preschool, which was operated by a Baptist church as a ministry to low-income children in the community. When my mother finally left my father for the brief time I was with her, I would often play at a black AME church down the street. I would hide under the pews, listening to the sermons and enchanted by the gospel music that would echo in the room. It did not take long for people to notice a small white child hiding under the pew. So I was quickly wooed from my hiding place and invited into Sunday school. And I would leave each Sunday with a simple pat on my head and a simple reminder, Jesus loves you, little one. When I was removed from my mother's custody and began to live with my grandparents, the rules of the house were simple. When you live with Mimi, your butt goes to church every Sunday. And at the age of seven, I began attending church regularly with my grandmother at a small Pentecostal church. And it did not take long for me to become everyone's grandchild at the church. When you're being raised by your grandmother and she takes you to church multiple times a week, you are quickly adopted by every senior citizen in the church. I would go with my Mimi to the senior luncheons at Golden Corral, where I would be doted upon with hugs and kisses, coloring books, and of course, mints. <laughs> Gotta have some mints, you know? I would run the halls of the church and be told to behave while simultaneously reminded how much Jesus loved me. I would go to prayer meetings, not optional, <laughs> and these same seniors would hug me, anoint me with oil, and pray for me. These seniors took me in as their own. They paid for my school books, sent me to camp each summer, paid for my missionary trip to Africa, helped pay for my college tuition, purchased my wedding dress, and let's not forget, Sister Tootsie, at the age of 93, still intercedes for me weekly in prayer, and when I'm at home in Virginia, she brings me a chicken biscuit from Chick-fil-A. I am one loved kid. (laughs) The pastor of this church, he served as a father figure for me in many ways. Growing up without a father was made easier because I had a pastor who hugged me, told me how much he loved me, and invested in my life. My pastor prayed over me when I gave my life to Christ at the age of 10. He baptized me when I was 13 and present when I received the call to ministry at the age of 15. He officiated my wedding at the age of 22, as well as the funeral service of Sis when I was 22, and the funeral service of my grandfather at the age of 26. He has been a constant in my life. The church was, became, and still is my refuge, a constant in an unpredictable childhood. And though my home would often change, church remained the same because it was the people who offered consistency of love, care, and provision. It was my haven, my sanctuary, and the people of the church, my family. The church not only told me Christ loved me, but they lived it out in radical ways. They took me in as an orphan child 
and gave me a name. I am beloved. I am blessed because I know the love of a village. It is this love that has inspired me to never give up on the church. I feel called to be a steward of that which was given to me as a child so that I might empower the very people who empowered me to be the woman I am today. The call to be a reverend was stamped early on my heart, not because I feel this need to be some great leader. No, it is because I received the love, the grace, the provision, and the care of a church. And it's this legacy that inspired me to pursue ordination. I am a reverend today because of the love of a church. And each of you, you've played a role as well. Coming to Free Methodist has been another sanctuary for me. Whether it is receiving hugs from our greeters when I walk in, or from our pastors when we are exiting, whether it is the coffee that magically shows up on our deck, (laughs) or hearing the squeals of laughter from the children below playing on the playground, whether it is the active ministry of the Cliff Drive Center and its care for children and our seniors and our community, whether it is the powerful confessions and our communal prayers as we seek to intercede on each other's behalf as an act of worship, whether it is our spoken liturgy and communion or the weekly encouragement to live out the love of Christ in our community. This church is now woven into my story and is now a part of my spoken word, my sweet, sweet, sweet poema. And today, I hope you feel encouraged. I hope you are reminded of how the church can play a role in the life of a child, in the life of those who have very little, in the life of those who are on the margins of society, in the life of those who need help, who need hope. We are more than a building. Church is not made up of these walls. It is made up of the people who show up weekly and profess a belief in Christ. It is made up of people who want to radically and relentlessly be love in this world because we know the power of love in our own lives through the person of Christ. And each of you have a story. And I pray I pray this week you see evidence of God's work in that story, that it reveals your calling, that it reveals to you how God has shaped you as the poema, and that it will also shape how you live out your life in this church as a believer in Christ. Rachel Held Evans in her book, Searching for Sunday, said it best. They reminded me that Christianity isn't meant to simply be believed. It's meant to be lived, shared, eaten, spoken, and enacted in the presence of others. They reminded me that try as I may, I can't be a Christian on my own. I need a community. I need the church. I believe she's inspired from Acts 2, 44 through 47. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved.
church, I need you. You need me, and we need each other. Take a moment. Look around the room. Seriously, look at each other. And don't forget, we have balcony folks. I see you guys up there. That's right. Take a moment. Take it in. Because this, this is the church. (laughs) And it's beautifully complex and rich with people who have a deep love for Christ. We are people who seek to break bread with one another, hope for one another, and be a community of fellowship which lives life together. And for that, I am thankful for each of you. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.